Robert. What's up, Meryl? <laughs> Hello, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's, uh, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the world. Um, it's sort of a sad time. Yes, and yet uh, the optimist in me sees a lot of good things on the horizon. So, uh, you know, we got to keep pushing forward and highlight the things that are going right in the world. And I think our conversation today is our, part of our effort to do that. That is exactly right. So what's going on in your world? Well, as you know, Robert, it is budget season. Mm. And our representatives are about to resume the legislative session that the coronavirus so rudely interrupted. Um, and they're going to have a laser focus on passing a state budget. There's a lot going into this budget and a lot of tough choices that will need to be made and hard balances to be weighed to make sure the voices of our smaller communities are being heard loud and clear. We are bringing a special mini-series to our audience, focusing on educational leaders from across rural Georgia, talking about the concerns, challenges, and strategies of the upcoming budget cuts. This is uh, topically different than our previous series, but nevertheless, another uh, group of great conversations with people from across the state who we know are doing the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to be starting today with Michelle Taylor. She is the superintendent of Cal Calhoun City Schools up in Northwest Georgia in Gordon County. And she's going to sort of set the stage and give us an overview of the budget situation as it affects districts, especially small districts. Uh, I am very excited about this conversation. Michelle Taylor is one of my favorite people and definitely one of my favorite Georgia superintendents. So I'm really eager to hear what she's doing and how she's mobilizing her team. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's do it. Michelle is great. Here we go. Hello. Hey, Michelle. Hey. All right. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for being a part of um, our Field Notes podcast. Uh, can you please introduce yourself and tell everybody your role and where you are? Yes, I am Michelle Taylor, and I'm superintendent of Calhoun City Schools, um, an independent school district in northwest Georgia. Excellent. So as you know, we're here to sort of talk about the budget. At the time of recording, we are looking at the legislative session reopening soon, um, and one of the, just super focused on getting a state budget passed. Um, and we are here at about a 14% cut across the board, which is gonna be a big, big impact on our education system. And so I was calling you to get sort of your perspective. What does this look like? What does this look like for a system? Well, you know, absolutely, it is a large percentage of our budget when you talk about a 14% reduction in every state-funded program across the state, and this includes our formula funding for local school systems. So, um, we're estimating that Calhoun City Schools will face approximately a $3.7 million shortfall with the loss of state revenues. Um, and, and we recognize that any reduction in our district operating funds um, has an impact on our plans or existing programs, projects, or services. So uh, to put that into perspective, um, I was also superintendent during the recession. And during that time, 
we had a loss of you know 18 million dollars over the time of um, our austerity reductions, which was in essence just a reduction in our QBE funding. Um, so we were impacted greatly during that time span. So a 3.7 million dollar reduction in one year is a substantial loss of state revenues. How much of your percent, or excuse me, of your budget is personnel? Because I know that 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 I keep hearing about, you know, there's so much, there's only so much stuff you can cut before you're cutting people. Absolutely, personnel makes up a, you know, the, the largest percentage of our overall, mm -hmm. the, the general fund. So, um, you know, 90% of that. So we do have to look at, you know, how we can streamline, how we can. Um, you know, not fill vacant positions, um, anything that we can do to, to try to keep from furloughing or amending our calendar so that we have fewer days. Um, you know, that, that's our last resort. We don't want to resort, resort to um, that type of cut uh, for, our, for our staff. Um, so we've definitely amended our budget planning calendar in light of not knowing what going to come out of the legislative session. Um, we're anticipating the 14% cut, so uh, we've already looked at not filling vacated positions through natural attrition, um, cutting our technology budget, and that's interesting during a time when we're really relying on digital learning and access to technology. So, um, so that's been a challenge for us. Uh, we were fortunate to receive a digital learning grant, um, so that will be very helpful. Um, during this time. Of course, our Federal CARES Act funding um, will help fill in the gaps of that budget shortfall. Um, Calhoun City will, will receive um, $723,000 um, for the CARES Act funding. So this year, um, that will definitely come as a, you know, you know, a great help. Um, we anticipate that next year, FY22, will be a much more challenging uh, year from what we're hearing as far as predictions for funding. So those are um, some of the things that we've looked at. We've also looked at cutting off purchase orders, um, continuing a spending freeze, um, cutting our school and system operating budgets, holding off on facilities upgrades and maintenance and repair projects. And um, we'll have to call upon our fund balance if needed um, once we get that final number from uh, what we'll receive for our QBE allotment. So a lot still to be done, a lot of unknowns. Um, um, that we're trying to, to be creative, innovative, resourceful, and think of ways that we can cut without impacting instruction for our students. Two things I want to highlight in what you just said. First, you were exactly right. This is a time where virtual learning has become a lifeline um, for so many of our students, and there's an expectation that that's a lifeline that they're going to continue to need on and off um, going forward just because of the, the coronavirus. Um, should there be an outbreak? Should there be, should someone be immunocompromised or have someone in their house, et cetera? Um, and so the idea that less funding can go to things like increasing connectivity and devices um, is really, I mean, it gives pause. And then also you mentioned, you know, putting a hold on purchase orders when there are purchases that are going to have to be made in order to reopen things like 
what do we do about masks and sanitizers and all of the equipment? I mean, that's just, that's a major immediate direct impact. And I know that, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to a question so much as, oh my goodness, what, what a situation. Well, it is a, an evolving situation that we find ourselves in because we don't want to spend our, our limited uh, funds on things that we may or may not need um, mm. to reopen schools. So uh, we have already made purchases for hand sanitizer. We placed um, sanitation station in all of our school facilities. Um, we have uh, purchased additional you know, cleaning supplies and um, gloves and masks and mm-hmm. thermometers so that we can check the temperature of our of our staff right now and and what that looks like when we reopen. Um, again, we you know we are sort of in a holding pattern as far as what the what it's going to look like as far as um, reopening schools, but we know and we anticipate that it will look very different, and we do have the highest standards uh, for sanitation, for safety, to make sure that the health and well-being of our students and staff is a priority. Um, But at the same time, as you know, it costs a lot of money. We're uh, a school system of 4,000 students. I can't imagine what that might look like for, you know, when you have more than 100,000 students. So Mm -hmm. um, it's it's going to be a a costly venture um, to have all of those resources available, um, but also necessary in some sense to make sure that we have a safe environment. So um, so it has been a challenge to know what to predict and know how to, to react and be proactive um, as well. So um, it has been very challenging. There are so many unknowns. There's so, and such a quickly and constantly evolving situation. Uh, you are on one of the task force around technology. Is that correct? I am. On, I'm on the Can you speak to that? Let folks know what that – yes, tell them I, what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I have been um, asked to serve on the working group for devices and connectivity. Um, so the working groups include teachers. They include school district staff, public health officials, um, and along with our education organizations, nonprofits, and state agency. And they're going to focus on six key topics, which are school meals, distance learning and professional learning, connectivity and devices, mental health and wellness, and then supplemental learning, and facilities, equipment, and health guidelines. So it's an attempt to have folks come together to really think through what the reopening or what they're calling the K-12 restart of school mm-hmm. will look like. And so it's, it's going to be a heavy lift because it's got to, you know, it really take place over the next month um, in preparation um, for school starting back. Many of our school calendars start, you know, the first part of August. So um, to be able to have a plan in place with some guidance and following the CDC guidelines, um, and you may be aware, you know, it's very scary to parents when they look at some of the, the guidelines that have been published from the CDC. I think, you know, we definitely will uh, honor that respect, you know, what the CDC guidance looks like. Um, but they've also pushed out some new verbiage that shares where practical, where feasible, um, you know, some of that language, because every community is going to be different. Every situation is going to be different. Um, so what might be practical in one school setting may not be practical 
in another. So I, I feel like that will be part of the discussion to, you know, act uh, with a lot of compassion during this time, especially uh, the working group that will be talking about mental health and wellness. Um, and, you know, to navigate through this uh, pandemic has been quite challenging. When you add, you know, thousands of students and staff in school facilities um, that also have some challenges sometimes, um, it's going to be a very um, challenging task, but I feel confident that the leadership of the state and the groups that have been put together will um, be able to collaborate and work through some of those challenges and communicate a plan um, that can get our students and staff back into our school buildings safely at some point, um, you know, hopefully sooner than later. But again, we want to be very responsible and safe. Well, I know, um, I know it's in good hands. <laughs> Smart minds are working really hard on that. Um, well, and if I could take the opportunity to just to share, Governor Kemp has done a great job to uh, be very responsible uh, responsive to the needs of our school district. Um, he is a governor who has spent a great deal of time um, working with school superintendents across the state, listening, seeking their counsel, um, and, and I would just like to share how appreciative our school districts are for the governor and his focus on education being a priority for our state. That's wonderful. That's wonderful to hear. It's good to know. It's good to I mean, you know, we, you can read the articles and whatever, but hearing it from the horse's mouth, I think it is very powerful. Um, so good. And thank you so much for your time and for sharing and sort of informing our listening audience um, about well, some of the challenges and some of the work that's being done to, to address it. I mean, it is, it is a scary time and there are a lot of, uh, the sands are moving swiftly, you know, but, um, but, there are good minds thinking about this. I know that, that we all want safety, but we also all want instruction. Um, and we just are figuring out how to how to navigate in the in this world. And I'm just glad that we got people like you, Michelle. I'm glad we got people like you. Well, I appreciate that, Meryl, and I'm so appreciative of you and your work with the uh, Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education because you have been a great partner to us in the schools across the state, and oh. we appreciate your leadership and support um, during this time, but, you know, during the, the normal time, um, <laughs> the new normal we find ourselves in, but uh, we just appreciate the partnership that we have with with you all and the support. Well, we are happy to partner. That's what we do. It's what we do. Um, appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a good one. You too. Stay safe and stay well. You too. Bye, Michelle. Bye-bye. Okay, so Meryl, we just heard from Michelle Taylor and She's got some real challenges on the horizon. I was thinking about a couple of things she said that really struck me, one of which is she's in a difficult spot around her decision-making uh, because there's so much uncertainty. And then the 14% budget cut is no small uh, issue. And what I really appreciated about what she said is that 
she's doing the very best she can to make adjustments in the places that will not affect the student's learning experience. They're trying to be creative um, and they're trying to be innovative, but the ripple effects of this budget cut are not, um, cannot be ignored. That's absolutely right. Um, I think she did a really good job of sort of laying out what some of the challenges look like on the ground in terms of what, you know, what do you pick between how much you only have so many resources and there's so many needs and, and it's a changing environment constantly. So how do you adjust to that successfully mm -hmm. uh, and ensure that your students get the instruction they deserve? Absolutely. Yeah, I know that you all talked about the recession and she was leading even during the recession. And it, it made me wonder how long we will be managing the impact of COVID as it relates to tax revenue. How many more years are we going to see a 14% type budget cut? And what does that mean for student learning? What does that mean for employment in school districts? So there's so much to, to think about. And I know you can only take it one day at a time, but I can't help but wonder how long we'll be managing this, uh, this issue. Yeah, I've heard from a number of superintendents talk about, you know, they have rainy day funds, but if you use them now, where does that leave you next year? This right. year you got CARES Act funding and next year you won't. So, so hold on to something. Right which makes your decision-making even more difficult. Mm -hmm. Do you spend your money? Do you cut personnel to save money? These are legitimate leadership challenges that very few books probably can help you navigate. But nevertheless, this is where we are. And um, we, wish, we definitely wish Michelle the best and know that she will lead, um, lead her district as best she can. What else is on the horizon, Meryl, for our, our series? So we are going to be speaking to more superintendents. Um, and, and as you heard in that overview, there are some sort of specific issues that are pretty widespread. Things like during the season of budget cuts, there's also greater expenses for reopening because of the COVID-19 crisis. Right. Um, how do you balance that out? Um, how do you deal with transportation and technology needs when there's going to be a greater need for robust online learning, et cetera. So what we are looking to do in this series is really hone in on some of those specific issues. Um, again, uh, talking to various superintendents from across small districts in the state over what they are looking at and how they are balancing out the unknowns, um, the needs and the resources of their communities. So it's, I'm very much looking forward to this and I hope that everyone stays with us and here's these voices. This is an important time to really understand what these legislative impacts are going to look like on the ground. Absolutely. Well, I think we're off to a great start. Uh, looking forward to uh, the next interview and we will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening. Hey there, listener. One more thing before you go. You've been hearing from us, but we'd love to hear from you. We at the Georgia Partnership always want to get better at what we're doing, so let us know what you think so far. Also, what are we missing out there across this great state? Who's doing cool things in your neighborhood to support the education and workforce pipeline? 
What innovations and solutions has your community come up with around economic development? Are there some great partnerships between sectors like housing, health, transportation, that are making a difference in your educational outcomes? We'd love to hear about them and spread the word about good work being done across Georgia. We hope to hear from you. To contact us, go to our website, gpee.org, and click on the Contact Us tab in the top right corner. Or give Robert, our communications guru, a call at 404-223-2464. Thanks for listening, listener.